Welcome to Docs in Orbit, where we feature conversations with independent creative documentary filmmakers from around the world. This is Christina Zacriades. In this episode, we recap films from the Camden International Film Festival, which just wrapped up over this past weekend. I had a chance to sit with a dear friend, Bronte Stahl, a filmmaker and producer from Westerly, Rhode Island, who is a frequent attendee at SIF and also part of the festival's screening committee. Bronte and I studied documentary in film school many moons ago at the European Master's Program Doc Nomads. His short films have screened at international film festivals, including Rotterdam and Doc Lisboa, and his current projects are supported by Sundance and Doc Society, among others. We covered a lot of ground discussing several films from the Camden International Film Festival, including North by Current, Expedition Content, Terra Femme, Faya Day, Spirits and Rocks and Azorian Myth, a Night of Knowing Nothing, and Ascension. So, without further ado, here's the conversation. So, I am here with Bronte Stahl. Hello. Thank you for taking time out of the screening room at the Camden International Film Festival to catch up. Sure, it's my pleasure. Yeah, it's been... uh an intense few days and and beautiful few days and happy to be able to digest some of it with you. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we've talked about films that we've seen together too. So I'm actually really excited to have been at the festival virtually this time and um, and really get a sense of what it was like on the ground for you. Um, So yeah, so you've been to Camden many times before. So I'd love to hear from you. It'd be great if you could just talk to me a little bit about your relationship with the festival and maybe some of the different ways that you've participated in the past? Sure, yeah. Well, it's my third time there. The first time I just sort of went after having come back to the U.S. after some years elsewhere and trying to understand a bit what the documentary community might look like in the U.S. And Camden was my first entry point into that. And I think a really useful and handy one for anybody who's looking to attend a a space with lots of wonderful filmmakers who are open and warm and um, happy to share their work and, and things of themselves. And um, I I left sort of encouraged about what documentary community may uh, exist in the U.S. after that first encounter. The festival was sort of anchored in, in Rockland this year. You know, I think in previous years they had shown maybe some of the more challenging work, some of the more formally adventurous work in the Farnsworth Art Museum, which I think was also a great asset to the festival, but it was, you know, kind of a, a micro cinema and being able to see some of those works, which you may have otherwise seen in the micro cinema at the Farnsworth on one of these two uh, bigger screens, I think is something that I really appreciated. And amazing films too. I mean, like really, really, truly amazing films to see on a big screen. So let's start talking about some of the films. Yeah. North by Current was the first film that I saw by Angelo Madsen Minax. And this was a film about his his family and a sort of tragic loss of his niece and also his own transition and and the ways in which these two you know ostensibly unrelated events can um were central and sort of tied up a bit for him for him 
you know, I think it was it was a really strong film with a bold film language that, you know, was uh, at times participatory and exploring really difficult themes and times more kind of um, impressionistic. And I think in that way, very influenced by his prior work, which I haven't seen, but I'm interested to do. He shared that this film was, you know, not originally conceived as such an intimate family portrait per se, but rather as sort of a, a landscape film. And he was sort of working with this form to begin and ultimately found uh, this sort of very concrete form exploring these family spaces. And But certainly you feel the ways in which his uh, past uh, kind of more formal experimentation you know, infiltrates the work in a way that um, illuminates it, I think, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's really high on my list to see it. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, so it's definitely something that I'm 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 keen to see. Um, so what else did you have a chance to? So that was Friday. That was- After I watched uh, Expedition Content, um, this was by Ernst Carell and uh, Veronica Kusumuriyati. Um, mm. And uh, this was a, an audio piece uh, presented in a cinema that is a kind of uh, re-presentation and fracturing based on an archive from a 1961 ethnographic expedition by Robert Gardner, who was head of the uh, Harvard Film Studies Center, Michael C. Rockefeller, the son of the prominent industrialist. And as we are, we learn from text in the film, even the sort of impetus of this journey came from connection with the the Dutch Shell Oil Company. And so the film sort of begins from this this complex vantage point. And we are, you know, some of the first things we hear in the film are those who are about to depart on the expedition, raising questions with each other around the sorts of filters that they should be using with the camera, how they're going to record sound. And ultimately the conversation drifts to you know, this sort of talking about how can we achieve the most naturalistic representation. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, the, the filmmakers foreground uh, this film with this conversation, which uh, can, you know, provoke so much in us around what, what could naturalism possibly mean when um, embarking on a, you know, ethnographic expedition to a place considering their own kind of uh, positionality. It's a, It's a film that really... Uh, you know, includes the the rustling microphone or the moments when somebody won't, you know, shut up because, you know, Michael, who's on the, who's doing the sound recording, would like to record a, you know, a chant or, or the sound of the rain. And I think so much of the authorship in this film comes exactly from, you know, it, it comes from what, what is included and what's excluded. And frequently what's included is uh, moments which, which reference the making. Um, so I think in this way it becomes uh, a super authored piece. You know, it was wonderful to experience in the cinema also because he, you know, when at Camden was the, the second time that the film had been presented in, in a cinema after its premiere at Berlinale in 2020. So I think those, uh, those of us who were in the room really felt privileged to be there. It was a film that kind of divided the room. Veronica was in attendance and uh, before the film began, it sort of warned the audience that, uh, you know, this isn't a film per se. Um, you may see some images at some point. And I think she was, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, wanting to not 
not trying intentionally to catch the audience off guard. Um, oh, so it sounds like she was kind of sort of setting the expectations for the audience. Yeah. I think there's another film in the program which which deals with uh, archive and and the and sort of circumstances of, you know, I guess we could consider them an ethnographic encounter. Um, and that's Terra Femme by Courtney Stevens. Yes, I really want to talk about this film. That one I did, I did get a chance to see. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful work, and you know, it's it's a film about uh, female travel logs, uh, and sort of takes a few, takes focus on a few female uh, voyagers, and uh, shares with us their images, and Courtney illuminates those images with the context of their making and offers some uh, moments of political reflection. She offers uh, her her own story and, you know, allows us to see the images a bit from her perspective as somebody who's also gone elsewhere in search of something. And it coalesces in, in a really beautiful way. I think it's interesting as well to consider the ways in which this project developed, uh, which Courtney shared with us in the Q&A, and I would point the audience listening now as well to the virtual platform of SIF in which they're um, going to be uploading uh, several of the uh, Q&As from the, from the session. I think the one with Courtney speaking with Pamela Cohn was a uh, particularly illuminating one in which she spoke about the ways in which that this project developed. It was a 10-year project. It began as a kind of almost informal lecture or presentation in which she's sharing these images that she's uh, finds so beautiful and connects with but can't quite understand them with an audience and um, shares what she knows in in these original sort of um, presentations that she was doing of this footage and the project sort of developed from there as as you know people were sending her references and ideas and honed um, to the point where she constructed a very deliberate, and, you know, authored uh, present presentation, live presentation of the work, which is how she has presented this film, which is also maybe a similarity with expedition content that, you know, we maybe don't have to view either of them as films per se, because Courtney as well does this live uh, voiceover of the images that you've seen with, with the voiceover, which she recorded uh, and embedded and made into a, a film form, which we're seeing at SIF. But what did you think just in general? I mean, I mean, for me, I, I really loved this film. I loved it for a variety of different reasons. Um, well, first, just this idea of women's place in the archive, I think, is a really important question to have. And in her voiceover, a lot of the questions that she was posing were really potent questions. And I actually found myself answering back <laughs> Like in many times, like, um, so, I mean, cause she really like, she doesn't just ask questions of the image of the archive, but she's also asking questions to the audience. Like she's posing these questions to us as well. Um, and you're right. It's like, it doesn't, she doesn't offer us an answer, but, uh, but I think it just provokes a lot of this, you know, this, this thinking around, women and the camera and traditionally um, how they've been invited into that space or not been invited into that space. And I also felt that there were some really, um, there were some really like 
very precise things that she said in there. Like, for instance, she asks of us, what does the narrative of exploration offer women? You know, and just this idea of like taking us through all the different myths and legends of when what happens to women when they venture off and explore. I just thought that that was like a really powerful point in the film and it happens early on so that it kind of like brings us into the story and carries us through. Um, and yeah, and I, I really enjoyed kind of the, it's a collective piece too. Like it's, it, it's, um, it doesn't follow just one particular perspective, but it also, it follows like a variety of different women. I think also Courtney Stevens was really aware of the privilege that these women had. And I thought that that was an interesting conversation to, to, to bring up an interesting point to bring up. And, um, it made me reflect on um, on another film that we had on the podcast, which is Sisters with Transistors, which kind of does this as well. It kind of like retraces the history of women in electronic music. But um, one of the things that I particularly appreciated about Terra Femme was that it felt a little bit more um, like it wasn't relying on the archives alone um, but it brought in theory. It brought in a lot of like theoretical perspectives. And so I, I really felt like there were a lot of merits to, to her approach in this. I learned, I felt like I learned a lot. I really enjoyed her voiceover. I enjoyed the questions that she posed. Like, yeah, I thought it was an, an excellent, an excellent film. So which one did you want to go to next? Um, well, Maybe maybe we can leave the idea of archive for a minute and having explored that in these these first two films. How about yeah? Let's talk about Faya Dai by Jessica Bashir. This was a film that was sort of featured prominently on Saturday night in this Journey's End large cinema on a big screen. I think they were really excited to to present it in that format, and uh, it was one of the the bigger audiences that I that I saw at the festival. I thought it was a really beautiful film. It's uh, a film set in Ethiopia in a, a, a community in Ethiopia that uh, has, you know, it takes as a topic this uh, uh, relationship that the people there have with uh, this certain stimulant. But I think uh, it's it's a film that explores notions of home and place, which I think are really strongly felt, and what it means to to be and appreciate one's own surroundings but uh while recognizing the the complications and challenges that you know i think we all feel uh no matter how how rooted and connected we feel to a place some of the more delicate or um profound moments for me in the film were came from reflections from the children or uh conversations that they were having with each other or moments of um off-screen kind of conversation. And I sort of invested in the idea that this was a film from the children's perspective. And for me, it really unlocked the film and drew a connection really between these notions of home and place. And then the more complex and uh, difficult challenges that exist as well in this landscape. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was, uh, it was, it was a really beautiful work. Yeah. I, I was, totally blown away by Faya Dai and as you know we had her on the podcast and even her previous film so she had a short film actually Karat which is available on Criterion Channel if anybody has not seen it or wants to dive more into Jessica Bichier's work after seeing Faya Dai there's more of her beautiful 
imagery and poetic um i i just i i find her work to be very spiritual i feel that she's able to capture things in a purely original way and also one that is deep with empathy the way in which she i agree with you about her gaze on children it's so tender and gorgeous and just beautiful it's an experiential film it's not there is no you know it's not narrative driven i think maybe that's something that it does transcend i mean it kind of loosely does follow like the this uh plant and you know from picking it from the land to processing it and to putting it onto the market so there is sort of like definitely a structure there but in within this structure she kind of just like a band, like she puts us in a space of just losing a sense of time and just feeling a presence that uh, is otherworldly almost. And and I, I honestly I don't know how she does that, but she's a, she I find her to be just a magician with with visual language and also sound. I mean, just very attentive to every detail in the frame, and I really appreciate work like that. Mm. I think it's a um, it's a logical choice to uh, have Eileen and and Jessica in in conversation in the in the previous podcast that you guys worked on. Eileen, of course, the director of the film *Spirits and Rocks* and an Azorian Myth*, which was also screening the short section at Camden this year. Um, and I think that you know there's a, a similar kind of mythology and and the images and and sort of love for the subjects in in the ways that each of them shoot um and this was the first time i'd seen eileen's film in this form um and i found it to be such a a a smart and essential um you know economic to use a clunky word uh you know trimmed uh wonderful piece that is an exploration um, of the Azorian island of Piku and uh, the ways in which these people live under the imposing possibility of, of a volcanic eruption. And I think that through her delicate images, we begin to feel a sense of trauma or urgency or mythology around the idea that, um, you know, they're, they're living on this small volcanic space and, uh, and the precarity of that. Yeah, Eileen is a is an incredible talent, and I think everybody kind of can't deny that. <laughs> and the sound is also incredible. Um, so that's so that is Spirits and Rocks and Azorian Myth by Eileen Gockman. Yeah, um, I've got another idea of a film to talk about. <laughs> yeah, which one? Um, this film I actually didn't uh, get to see at the festival. I also came to the festival, having participated as a member of the selection committee for Camden, which had me watching a ton of films and finding a couple that I, you know, some that I really engaged with. One of them was this one, um, Our Memory Belongs to Us by Rami Fada and Sinja Birge Sorensen. And it's a film that I think does something rare in the uh, kind of modern history of uh, Syrian cinema, which is really center- Syrian voices and provide a space for self-representation. We have a film in which activists or uh, revolutionaries, they I learned that they like it to be called um, the Syrian revolution, 
as opposed to Syrian war, are afforded the opportunity in a black box uh, cinema to have their the images that they have uh, made of the revolution projected on a screen, and the three of them together with the director reflect on what what this image meant to them in context, uh, how it came to be, how um, it was created, and you know afforded all sorts of different points of reflection. And I think this was the first film I've seen about Syria that I maybe felt something of what they felt. I mean, I was, you know, uh, and maybe I didn't, but I know that I was devastated by the film and that it stuck with me a long time after, exactly because I felt that their voices were so centered and unadulterated. I mean, they were representing their own perspective and afforded a space to do that in a really kind of direct way. I mean, it's not to say that this film has anything to do with objectivity, but, uh, you know, it, it was wonderful in which they are given the steering wheel of their own story as, as much as maybe is, is possible. Um, and these, other than the way that all functioned, the, the, the three activists are friends, uh, of a kind that maybe I'll never know. I mean, a friend who has really gone through such, such a hardship and have had this person become their brother through, uh, through a struggle of a, you know, such an extreme magnitude. And, you know, there's, it's also a film in which you laugh because you see these men love each other and have fun with each other and reflects on moments. And they also cry together. And, uh, you know, you're, you're there experiencing that emotion as well. Um, so I thought it was, I thought it was such a smart, um, smart film. Yeah. I mean, it sounds when I was reading the, the synopsis, it kind of reminded me a little bit of this film last year that was kind of making rounds in film festivals, the viewing booth. I don't know if you you've seen that or if that's a, a good comparison at all. I have. Yeah. I, I, I do think of it in relation to it. I think the viewing booth is, it was my favorite film of, uh, 2019 easily and, and such an intelligent provocation and, and space for reflection. I think, you know, formal, the, the basic formal difference, of course, is that in our memory belong to us, those who are reflecting on the images are, are the creators themselves. And so they're um, able to uh, kind of afford us context and, and reflection from their own perspective, whereas the kind of questions that the viewing booth raises lay exactly in the dissonance between those who created those images and Maya. Um, and, and I, th- I think that, I think that they, uh, you know, each of those are beautiful spaces of exploration. That's of course the sort of main formal difference, but yeah, certainly, a um, uh, relevant film to think of it in comparison to. Did you want to maybe introduce a night of knowing nothing? I would love to talk about an, a night of knowing nothing. I mean, I've been ranting and raving about this film, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, so we will also add, um, Payal Kapadia to our, um, this will now be our official Payal Kapadia fan, <laughs> fan podcast. Um, cause I mean, yeah, I mean, I've seen her previous short films and when we saw her name in the lineup at cons, we were like very excited because her previous work has always been really inspiring because of her very precise visual sensibility and like where she places the camera and the way that she frames things and always, you know, Chiaros like working with, um, with texture and film and with sounds outside of the frame that kind of like create a different layer of meaning to what it is that you're seeing 
so yeah, I mean, I just, I, I always loved her cinema and, um, but a night of knowing nothing is, a, a her first debut feature film. And this is a complete film. Like it is just like a really impressive debut for a feature. I think, I think it's a really powerful political film. I don't know necessarily that she really openly wants to talk about it in this way, but, um, for me, it really resonated. Well, I mean, just to give a little bit of background on what the film is about. So the, it, it basically is a, a, tells a story through written letters between a university student who is estranged from her lover. And the reason why she's estranged from her lover is because his parents don't approve of their you know, relationship because of this caste difference. But through these letters and through like the letters that she's writing, we're really afforded a glimpse into the drastic changes that are taking place in contemporary India. Visually, it also brings in a lot of other pieces. Like she's working with archival material. She's also working with found footage from the university that was shot on film. She's also incorporating like hand-drawn little doodles in there. So it's very eclectic piece. It's got, it's not just one thing. It's letters, it's voiceover, it's audio it's sound and and rarely do we ever see the thing that we are listening to correspond with a thing that we're seeing which I always think is really interesting in which like she's she's constantly playing with um the sound and the image and the and the story that she's that she's telling and even though she's avoiding ever creating a complete picture what she ends up doing is creating a complete feeling of what it's like to live in this constant place where the tension between like desire for freedom and being in a constricted, constrained, oppressive environment. Like it's, it's really like, to me, that's the film. And she breaks through all of that. Like she really like, for me, this film, it, it is a liberating film. She, even in the form, like she even kind of like breaks through the constraints that cinema imposes on narrative and still manages to tell a very complete picture. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think there was, you know, somebody um, uh, had had heard the film described as uh, a, a very formally inventive film. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen the film that morning and, and wondered if it was exactly that that um, makes the film so unique. I don't think it is somehow. I mean, I think... The, the formal choices in the film are appropriate and strong, but not exactly radical. I mean, there's this thread of the, the correspondence between the lovers. There's these, uh, you know, images during the uprising, which are made so beautifully in 16 millimeter black and white. And in these spaces with impassioned students and uh, navigating this, this sort of atmosphere. Um, but, you know, when described as such, I mean, these are not such radical formal choices, I think, but there is some sort of alchemy that exists between them that I think I need to see the film again in order to better articulate that, you know, as you say, you know, uh, really creates a, you know, a, a, a way, a way of understanding what it means to be, to be oppressed. I mean, um, there's, there's a, there's a strange dialogue that happens between these two elements of the film that, um, that, you know, uh, I found beautiful. I mean, I think there's an implication in the film that those who is creating the images is also the the woman of the correspondence. But 
Um, I don't I don't believe ever in the film we uh, fully identify the woman who's behind the camera. She sort of remains this anonymous voice documenting being in these intimate spaces, but we never sort of hear from her in a very almost disconnected way. Whereas there's a strong intimacy in her her voiceover and the reflections that she offers us through the letters. And I think there's something about the dissonance between the intimacy of the voiceover and the very different kind of intimacy of the images that the one who is filming is creating, which maybe we can assume is the same person that helps create, you know, whatever it is that indescribable filming uh, feeling that this film um, affords us. Yeah, I think so too. We can't forget in which context she's making it too. Like, I think that this is a really brave film, both in terms of like its form, you know, and the liberties that she takes in terms of like collaging all of this stuff and weaving together, you know, a, a narrative with multiple different, you know, like pieces and, and visual material and also narrative. But, um, but I also think that it's a brave film given the context in which she's making it. I, I just encourage everybody to go see this film. Um, keep an eye out for it and make sure to go see it because it's a really special film. So, yeah. So which one, which one did you want to talk about next? I guess that was kind of it. I, you know, maybe you could say something briefly about uh, Ascension by Jessica Kingdon. I think this was a uh, really ambitious work. It showed at the Strand on a big screen to a packed audience. And um, it was an audience that really reacted well to the film. As I observed, this is a film about uh, Jessica had made previously made a short film, I believe, called Commerce City about, you know, the world's largest market in China that sells sort of dry goods or, uh, you know, and it is a sort of very visual piece, which reflects on consumerism. And I think she was looking to expand that piece in the making of Ascension and maybe tracking the production cycle of the things that we consume from, you know, uh, production to the selling and, and maybe the recycling ultimately of a variety of different goods. And, you know, I think that this film maybe started out from that strong formal point and um, became much more exploratory. So she's uh, in, in going across China, presenting us with these these spaces and, and reflections on and consumption and ways of producing and, and ways of uh, turning over materials in a really striking uh, cinematic way. Something that I noted in the film that I really connected with was in a, in contrast to you know a film maybe like Kwanitsatsi or Samsara or these you know sort of very visual works which span the globe, her really wonderful cinematography was not so obsessed with geometry or you know kind of finding the perfect frame. It was a of course a film that suits a massive screen and her and her frames are really beautiful, but that beauty was not based on something geometric or something formulaic. It it really centered the characters. And, um, you know, sometimes you might see how, uh, you know, I, I maybe would have cut the frame there because that would, um, you know, square up better with, you know, thinking about it in those kind of geometric terms. But I think that um, she unsettled the ways in which we may expect the frame to come. And in doing so, you know, centered, centered exactly the people that she was trying to tell about. And I thought that that was really beautiful. 
when the film began, I wondered if this is going to be a film that is uh, unfairly maligning uh, Chinese consumerism and and looking past what you know we do here in the U.S. or in or in Europe or uh, in in you know capitalist uh, you know societies. But I think that uh, so much of and I think this is very intentional on Jessica's part. I think she was showing us ourselves through the way that consumption happens in in China. I mean, I think through the images, we begin to uh, reflect on exactly the ways in which uh, some of these, you know, dynamics are are in fact universal in in capitalist cultures. And uh, and I thought that was a a super subversive way of bringing us there and and really uh, masterfully done. You were busy. Yeah, it was. I was uh, it was uh, such a such a wonderful program this year. Um, I think that Camden really is in many ways, leaning into challenging, you know, maybe being that place in the U.S. where you can really see the most challenging and expansive program, and and I think they're they're being bold and courageous in doing that, and it was it was great to be a uh, you know a witness of of this year's program. Well, Bronte, it was really lovely to be able to catch up with you. I know we've been like you know following the film festival in different ways and in different formats, but um, and texting back and forth our little our recommendations, but it was really nice to get a full debrief of like the standout films that you've seen in person, the vibe of the place, like all of that. I really, truly appreciate you taking a moment. Um, I'm sure you're hungry and tired and maybe even slightly hungover. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. But no, thank you so so much as well. It's, uh, it's great to have this space to come back from the festival and digest with you. It's true, we hadn't had the chance to really talk about film together in a while, and this was great. By a Day by Jessica Bashir is currently in theaters at BAM in Brooklyn and screening in cinemas in Ohio, Florida, and Tennessee. A Night of Knowing Nothing by Payal Kapadia is screening at the New York Film Festival this weekend of October 2nd and 3rd. Ascension by Jessica Kingdon is currently screening at the Zurich Film Festival on October 3rd. And MTV Documentary Films will be releasing the film in select theaters in New York and L.A. beginning Friday, October 8th. North by Current by Angelo Madison Minex has screenings in October set in Seattle, Norway, and Brazil. This episode was produced by Christina Zachariades in Brooklyn. And with music by Naeem Mahboub in Stockholm.